just have the honor and the glory in uh, all of this. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> all right. So we're in Genesis chapter 8. They left off at 5, as Greg said, but we'll start at the beginning. Um, but kind of going back further, um, just to make sure we're all on the same page, this thing called the flood happened, and it wasn't like a local flood, it was a global flood that God put on the earth. But why did God flood the entire earth? To get rid of the um, giants and the, the like, sin Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. The Nephilim. Yeah, so the Nephilim, uh, but it wasn't just to get rid of the Nephilim, but the sin that were, like, were from the Nephilim. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was just sin that people did what was right in their own eyes. They It was all kinds of horrible <coughs> sin. Um, yeah, and even with warnings that they kept on going, kept on going with sin and sin and sin. And it got to the point where God says, I regret even creating you. And I can't imagine God getting to that point. Um, But it shows that there was a lot of sin and there was uh, continuous and uh, pervasive sin in the entire earth. And in all of the entire earth, which I'm sure there was millions if not billions of people at that time, they only found Noah as righteous, Noah and his family um, as righteous. Uh, So total of uh, eight people, and that's that's pretty crazy to me. But it shows that sin is prevalent, and sin and God judges sin very clearly and succinctly, and um, He sends a message. Um, so we're kind of studying the end part of the flood. So I guess the happier part, maybe. <laughs> we'll see how happy it is um, later on. But today it's good. It's a happy one. But so in chapter eight, verse one through five, let's read it so we kind of know what's going on. Um, the, the waters were all on the earth for 150 days at the, this point. And then chapter one th- uh, 8, 1 through 5, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So this is kind of the floods, waters were um, stopped. God shut the um, waters, the fountains, everything like that. He controls those things, which is cool to me that he can do anything he wants. <laughs> um, but, and then he, the ark rested. Um, so how many, how long was the ark on the water? Can any, did anyone do the math? No, nah, I did. <laughs> so, so the water was, the ark was actually on the water for five months. So after five months, it sat on the mountain of Ararat. That didn't mean they got out at the mount, at that time. But uh, in verse 4, it says, In the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, which is in Turkey. Um, and there's like a lot of mountains. It's not just one mountain and then flatness. <laughs> there's a bunch of mountains. Um, and then once it landed, they didn't like get out and like dance in the grass or anything like that. The water still had to recede further and further. So it says in verse 5, In the tenth month, which is uh, three months later, they saw the tops of the other mountains. So I'd imagine they were on the top of Mount Ararat, probably one of the taller mountains. And then they're like, oh, wait, there's another mountain. And the next day, oh, wait, there's another mountain. And they kept getting more and more excited. Um, so th- they're kind of just sitting on a mountain, just doing nothing. I When I when I first read this, like, a couple years ago, I thought they were just cruising around the waters, like, for months and months. But they were just sitting there, <laughs> nice and peacefully. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. And then verse 6, um, we'll go on with that. It says, verse 6, At the end of 40 days Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Um, and why did, why did Noah put out a raven, do you think? <laughs> to see if it would rest anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But why they pick a raven, like, and then they picked a duck? Why? 
Why do you think so? I don't know. I never <laughs> thought about it. What, what kind we of threw an, that bird out there? <laughs> what kind of animal is a raven? A big black thing, huh? Is it an unclean bird? <laughs> Scavenger, right? Scavenger, yeah. So it looks for it. it eats dead animals, right? It, it, like, oh, so it was looking around. to see if the de the water receded and then it could eat them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and it didn't come back, did it? No, it says. Yeah, it I mean, back. it may have like stayed kind of close, but it never says like it came back to yeah, Noah. Yeah. It says it went to and fro until the waters were dried up. And if you think about, it, if you think all of the dead bodies on yeah. the earth, whether yeah. it's animals, people, whatever it might be, the crow, or the crow, the raven, was probably going around, like, eating. I'm surprised they didn't throw a turkey buzzard out there. <laughs> yeah, clean, clean up from uh, the, the, the flood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, to be honest, I don't know exactly why a raven, um, but I think it shows that um, there was a lot of dead things, and the unclean animal was sent, and it didn't work. <laughs> um, so then... Afterwards, Noah, in verse 8, if we go on, and it kind of goes into why he sent out the birds. He says, Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. Um, and what kind of animal is a dove? Clean. Mm -hmm. They're clean. Clean. Yeah, so there's unclean animals and clean animals. Both were brought onto the ark. Um, and, and, and you were saying, so what is like a dove represent you were saying that peace and love mm -hmm. yeah is, is there anything Leo also sent it out because uh, doves have can see further than a raven can really uh, yeah that's cool I didn't know yeah, that. their, their sight is uh, incredible hmm. that is good to know I didn't know that that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> I have a dove by the way <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and and that, that would definitely be helpful because then it can cruise around the earth and yeah. can see very far, can see those mountains, those yeah. everything going up. Um, but the dove, if you notice in um, <clears throat> verse 9, it says, But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned him to the ark. Returned him <clears throat> to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he, Noah, put it out his hand and took her, and brought her into the ark with him. And I wonder if, like, Noah, this was, like, his best friend, the dove. Like, he maybe liked doves a lot. I don't know. <laughs> but it's kind of neat how he, he sent it out. He didn't have to send it out. God didn't, like, command him to do it. But he was kind of, like, testing the waters. Testing, like, all right, can I get out now? I would imagine Noah's probably pretty anxious to get off. I mean, if I were him, it doesn't say that. But <laughs> I would really be pretty anxious to get off the boat as soon as possible. So he was kind of going out, seeing what it what um, he could find. <clears throat> and then verse 10, it says, He waited another seven days, and again he sent the, forth, the dove out of the ark. And verse 11, And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. So the first time it was a fail, he's probably disappointed. He's like, darn it, i got to wait longer. It's been ten months already. Um, i got to keep going. Um, but then what the dove finds an olive leaf. And uh, what, what do you guys know about olive trees? Do you know anything about olive trees or what they represent or some physical characteristics of an olive tree? Any botanists in here? <laughs> big. Olive trees represent the um, I, so. I think they could, yeah. I'm what not, was the question? I said, uh, doesn't an olive, olive tree represent Israel? It also represents the olive branch as a, as a symbol of peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it might reference Israel as, like, the olive branch where, like, you're grafted into the olive tree. I think there's a scripture on that. Um, but I don't know I if it's... I read something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's the case, though. Um, it's a very hardy tree. Hmm? It's a very hardy tree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, like, on the sides of the slopes. Yeah. Opposed to necessarily only in the valley. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, I mean, they don't have much to look at, but they, they just hang in there. They very, um, yeah. And, and you mentioned on the slopes, they can be at very high altitude and not very good places to be. And it, they're also known that they can be underwater as well. They can, like, withstand water. They can withstand things. So the olive tree really is probably one of the tallest trees altitude-wise at the time. So... 
I mean, if we just look at it physically, an olive tree is most likely the most likely tree they would have found anyway. Um, um, for that area, yeah. yeah, for that area, yeah. Cause I, I, don't, I don't think olive trees grow in America, do they? No, no I've, so, never, I've never seen one. I've only Google right. imaged it. I've never yeah. seen one. So. You got to go to Israel. Yeah. I know. And we're going. They have a th- um, couple thousand year old trees there. Really? Uh, olive trees. It's pretty remarkable. Here's the verse you were talking about. If some of the branches were broken off in you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches if you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Mm-hmm. And and that is talking about Israel, and so that's, that's an Jesus, example. Right? <clears throat> what? That, who, where was that? That is Romans chapter oh. 11, 17-ish. Yeah, so you were right. It does represent yeah. Israel, <laughs> and uh, like in a parable form. <clears throat> now, there and, uh, is a parable form that compares Israel to a fig tree. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that's different. Yeah, but Israel's a lot of trees. <laughs> so so physically it makes most sense that they found an olive tree. It was hardy, it was it can live on mountains, it can withstand water to a certain extent. Um, I'm sure not all olive trees survived, but maybe this one was near the top. I don't know. But we found they found an olive tree and someone else mentioned what does an olive tree re- represent? Like in our culture today, for all branches. Peace. 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 Yeah. And reconciliation, too. Mm hmm. Yeah. And abundance. Yeah. According to Wikipedia. Yeah. There you go. Wikipedia. Free of life, I think, is an olive tree. But yeah, like, it, it shows peace, like, when people, like, with war and stuff like that back in the day, they would offer olive branches. So it wasn't just like, yay, we're having peace. It was almost like gift of peace, right? Yeah. That's showing, like, we're not against each other anymore. We're one. We don't want war or anything like that. So Did you know? Yeah. Can I throw this out there? You can throw in, it. In the seal of the United States, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a bird, an eagle, I guess, um, and... Yeah. In one hand, it's got its arrows, and in the other, it's got olive branches. Mm-hmm. And the the way that the eagle faces is if we're in time of war or a time of peace. Mm. That's cool. That's all I wanted to share. Cool. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I think the olive branch uh, is in like some UN symbol as well. Too, it's like a pretty common yeah, symbol. Absolutely. If you and ask anyone on the street if you said dove and olive branch, they'd be like, "Oh, peace." So it's pretty common, and it really comes from this story. So. I guess cool. it's biblical, our symbol, <laughs> of America. Um, and it's really neat, because if you look at the time period, what we're looking at, we're looking at extreme judgment that never has been seen on this earth before or to this day. Um, and then the first thing off the boat, the first thing after mm. the, the um, flood is we see a, a sign of peace and reconciliation, and a peace and reconciliation that re- withstood the storm. Um, and so this was the first time where it showed that God was at peace with the people. His wrath was fulfilled. His wrath was sustained because the people were destroyed. And that's what sin ultimately leads to. It leads to death. And there was a whole lot of death. The entire world was dead. Every, it says every, every living thing was killed because of their sin, because of their opposition to God. And in the midst of that death and destruction and depression and like, oh my gosh, how could God do that? He says, look, here's peace. Here's a sign of peace and reconciliation. We're no longer opposed to one another. We're, we're one in the same. Um, so God really, sh- it's a really powerful picture of death and peace with God. That can only be withstood, that can only be given if there was punishment for that sin. And we'll go into that a little bit more um, later on. But it's a beautiful picture of what God has done through uh, judgment and through peace and reconciliation. So, so Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth based on this sign. Um, if you just think logically, there's, if there's a tree, then there's got to be some open land somewhere. And then he, in verse 12, he says, Then he waited another seven days, probably for it to dry up a little more. And send forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. So that probably means the dove probably found a home or a nest. Or I'm sure the dove wanted to get off a big wooden structure as well. <laughs> so he found a nice olive tree to make a nest in. Um, <clears throat> all right, so verse 13. 
In 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. What was the covering of the ark? What was, what was on the ark that he uncovered? Pitch. pitch. What is pitch? It's like a forest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like a canopy. <laughs> like a tent? Yeah. Pretty no, sure they I, sealed it up. Yeah. <laughs> Can't dry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like pulled off the roof. Yeah. <laughs> like the t- he took off the roof. Yeah, probably. I would. I would imagine some sort because the pitch it's some kind of like tar from like an oil. Yeah. So they took off. I. I would guess like maybe they took off the roof. They could see the sun now. I'm not really sure because it says that uh, when he was given instructions of how to build it, he says cover everything in pitch. Um, so there had. I would imagine there's some wood on top of it still, but maybe they took off that wood since they knew there was not going to be any more rain. So we're not sure, but. <laughs> They took off the sunroof, so. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, so Noah took this off. He was getting ready to go off. I'm sure they were excited. And then verse 15, God finally gave the command. It says, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. So God gave the command, all right, you're free to go. How, and if you, know, if you remember from when they got on the ark, God closed the door behind them and commanded them to go in. So that Noah, in obedience, was patient. He probably could have gotten out of the boat a week earlier, but he was waiting for the command of the Lord. And uh, if you look at ten months of waiting, that's a long time. Uh, sometimes we have to wait for things for years and years, but ten months on one structure, you probably want to get out. Um, I'm in my house one day, and I want to like just run outside or something like that, so I can't imagine ten months. Um, but, but we can see Noah's patience, even though he kind of was like testing the waters, he didn't go out until the Lord commanded him. And uh, with the command, he says, bring out with you every living thing, make them multiply. And I think the animals did a pretty good job because there's a lot of animals on the earth. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so they multiplied pretty well. Uh, and they still are doing that. <clears throat> um, so it says, bring everything out. Don't leave anything back on the ark. Any questions about that? Everyone's off the arc. Everyone's happy. Can I just make a point? Absolutely. I don't know why I think it's exciting. Yeah. But this, it says the 601st year. Mm-hmm. That's the 601st year of Noah's life. Mm-hmm. Not like of the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, which means if it's the first day of the first month of the 601st year, that's Noah's birthday. Hmm. Oh, yeah, birthday gift. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I was like, I was like, you can do whatever you want with that. But I just thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, good birthday. That's a really good birthday present. Probably the best one in his life, I would imagine. It might be. It's true. I think God has a sense of humor sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Of all the days, did on his birthday. Yeah. And it's really like a time of renewal. The first two-thirds of his life were living in a world of sin and a world of destruction, ultimately. And now he gives them a new life. for, And he lived to about 900, I think. So 950, I 950, think. so the sec, uh, last third of his life was made new. And he makes all things new, so that's exciting. <clears throat> all right, so Noah's birthday, he's happy, all the animals are going crazy, I'm sure. Um, then verse 20, we'll see what Noah did first, in 20 through 22. <clears throat> it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will... Yeah. So if he's taking some of the animals and there's only two of every kind, mm-hmm. if he takes one of any kind, there's no pre- continuation of procreation of that species. That's a good question. So it's kind of like 
just the leftover animals? Like, these are the spare ones you <laughs> but, but how many clean animals were brought on the boat? Seven. Seven there. Seven there. Seven each, yeah. So, of every unclean animal, it was two. But every clean animal, there was seven. So, seven or seven pairs? Seven pairs. Seven pairs. Seven pairs, yeah. So, it wasn't just. And they went in two by two, like probably in pairs, but they weren't. They had spare. Yes, exactly. They had a spare pair. That's a good question, though. And then they were quick to multiply, so. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so the first thing that Noah did was he built an altar to the Lord. And what is an altar? What, is, what does that mean? Like, what, what did he do? Did he just go and like burn some animals? Or? Place of sacrifice. Place of sacrifice, yeah. How did he know how to do it? I mean, do, what is an altar supposed to look like? But did he know that? I don't know. I mean, because if you think about an altar, it doesn't. There's no specification of what it has to look like, necessarily. It's really uh, the definition of an altar is like a place to sacrifice. It doesn't mean like it has to be yay big or anything like that. Um, but um, and and if you like, yeah. So he didn't. I don't know what it looked like. But uh, is that your question? I was or? just like, it, it, it's a, it, it, he inst- instinctively moves towards this kind of a worship of God that he has the altar kind of I mean well, I don't know that you know it's just amazing that the altar came up at that point mm-hmm. already this oh, is God. how we're going to worship God or how we're going to mm-hmm. please God was to build an altar mm-hmm. well other people sacrificed on altars prior to other generations prior yeah. to Noah but mm-hmm. was that pagan sacrifices or were no no Adam Cain and Abel Adam Abel and we have a chart in the other room that I, I'll pull out to you that Noah lived during Ad, uh, Seth's lifetime, yeah. actually. So he essentially learned from Adam, and that's it. They just all kind of followed on what. Yeah, I think that's uh, chapter, the end of chapter 4. Yeah. It says uh, it was in that day that they began to call upon the name of the Lord. Yeah, so, verse something 26. like 426. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think they were sacrificing. Yeah. Well, it actually was established too when sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, God clothed them in skins. So some innocent animal was killed by God, kind of in a sacrificial as a way, as a covering exactly. for them. For their sin. So that would have been established directly from God to Adam, mm-hmm. and then passed on through his children. Yeah. Yeah, so he had to have some, I would imagine, knowledge of sacrifice, of what it means to worship God. Um, but it's interesting that it's the first thing that he does. He doesn't wait, he doesn't like go prance around in the grass or climb trees or find that olive branch. He, he goes and gives an altar, builds an altar to the Lord. And um, I mean, I would imagine Noah realizes God's power and strength and holiness after this whole ordeal in the last hundred years that he's been building the ark, hundred or hundred twenty years. Um, so he, the first thing he does is gives honor to God. Um, and I think Tracy brings up a good point. There's seven pairs of clean animals, but still, if you look at that, there's seven pairs of clean animals in the entire earth. I would imagine Noah had the temptation of like, there's not very many dogs. You might want to keep those or anything like that. Like, I don't know how many, like, what if, like, a couple of the pairs can't, like, produce or what things like that. Like, there's that temptation of holding back from mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And it says here, it says that um, some of every clean bird and some of every clean animal. So he didn't, like, pick and choose, like, I don't really like cats, so I'm going to sacrifice cats. They're clean, <laughs> but I'm not going to sacrifice them. That's all right, Paul, <laughs> okay, I don't know. <laughs> I'm saying he didn't do that. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, they could also have been reproducing on the ark. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure they were. Pretty sure of it. Not only them animals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably sure acting they're like animals. <laughs> you see how many rabbits? Yeah. Yeah, by the time yeah, the ark was done, from. like, and they all came out, there was like. Thousands and thousands oh, of rabbits. Yeah, I'm sure there was more. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to for that long, floating around. <laughs> <laughs> Time to get off. And I'm sure God built 
uh, had the art very big to have oh, a yeah. room. He oh, got yeah. new in advance. <laughs> a lot of stuff going on there. <laughs> yeah. But even, it, like, say, even if each mammal, each animal produced, like, two, there's still not very many for the entire Earth. So we look at animals, and there's, like, pretty lot here, but there's also more around the Earth. So if we look at, this is all the animals on the Earth, God, Noah took what, even what was small and gave it fully to God. And it, it comes to the point, the word of sacrifice. So what do you guys think of the word sacrifice? What does sacrifice mean? Well, the widow's mite, you know, that was all that she had. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to give all that you have, to trust God that he's going to replace that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so giving almost everything is a form of sacrifice, yeah. <clears throat> what else? What, what else do you guys think about the word sacrifice and the act of sacrifice? It's giving of yourself, <clears throat> not out of excess, but out of something that is... Like David said, I, I can't give. He wouldn't give without it costing him something. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's giving of yourself, whether it's of your material stuff or, or of your time or so on. It's, it's um, yeah, giving of yourself. Mm-hmm. It costs something. It costs something, yeah. But why do you give of yourself? So sacrifice is definitely giving of yourself or giving not of excess but of what you are or what you have. But why do you sacrifice? Why does someone sacrifice something? The heart attitude. Mm-hmm. What is your heart attitude like? Allegiance, loyalty, and love to the one you're sacrificing to. Mm-hmm. So you're not just giving up to give up. You give up to give to someone else, and that's out of a heart of a heart and attitude of love, loyalty, allegiance, lifting that person up above yourselves. Because you're saying, "I am not. I am. He is greater than I, or she is greater than I. So I want to give of myself to them out of love and loyalty, allegiance and um, adoration, or whatever it might be. Because it can look differently each sacrifice." Um, but it's, it's, it's a humbling act and it's a humbling heart attitude that he had. So Noah took the time to show this allegiance, this love, this adoration to God, this thankfulness by taking of what the clean animals, of what was as precious, really, because it was really, there wasn't much living on the earth, but he took what was living and gave it to the Lord. Um, and, I, and I was actually going to go to that passage Josh was talking about in 2 Samuel 24, if you guys want to turn to it real quick. Um, <clears throat> what was it? 2 Samuel 24, verse 18. It's right before 1 Kings, in the last chapter of 2 Samuel. I always look for first kings and then go backwards. <laughs> All right, so I'll just read the passages, starting in verse 18. It says, And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, and David's the king at this time, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Aruna went out. And paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, Why is my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, in order to build an altar to the lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All of this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Aruna, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. And before that time, David sinned. He, He counted the people, and he was really like boasting in his pride. And he was going in a, in, to repent, to turn from his sins, to admit to God and to plead for forgiveness. But he didn't want to offer something that didn't 
demand sacrifice. He wanted to give of what he had. Because that's true repentance, true admitting that we're wrong, is saying, you are greater than I. Here is myself. Here is my life. So when we repent to God, we really give our lives. We don't just say sorry and then go about our business. We give our lives to God as a sacrifice, knowing that he is greater than us and he will respond. And the, but the, the interesting thing with that is David was almost trying to earn his forgiveness. He was saying, all right, if I sacrifice enough, then I'll get my salvation. He was trying to pay for it. And the difference with us, that when we, when we sacrifice to God, we don't earn, try to earn God's favor, earn God's, like, please, um, earn God's pleasure or anything like that. It's already been paid for by Christ. And see, that, that's where the, yes, there's sacrifice, but we don't have to earn it and pay for it ourselves because Jesus Christ already paid for it. But it still demands sacrifice, a heart of surrender to God, a heart of adoration and love and praise to God. But, so this, this, this love that God gave, this love that Christ showed on the cross by paying for our debt, doesn't mean that we don't sacrifice, doesn't mean that we go off and do our own things. Uh, Romans 12.1, it says that, um, that we should offer our, our lives as living sacrifices. And when we look at, and I think you've made a great point, is the heart and the, the, the attitude of sacrifice. As Christians, we have to have a heart and attitude of sacrifice. And uh, a lot of times, I even, like, am tempted to think this, that, like, I can't be having fun, or I can't, I need to be suffering, I need to do this, I need to, like, I'm beating myself up over it. And sacrifice doesn't mean that we beat ourselves up over it. It means that we give ourselves over to the Lord in pleasure, saying, God, you're worth this. And Noah says, you're worth this. You're worth the clean animals that we do have. I'm giving it to you. And, and that, that's, that this heart of sacrifice, Christians, we, we have to have and we need to grow in, but we don't have to earn that sacrifice. We don't have to give enough. It doesn't matter how much money we give or time we give. God, we're not graded on scales, but we do have to have this heart of sacrifice that Noah had. Do you guys have any questions? I know I just kind of off for a couple minutes, but guys, it makes sense? Okay. And verse 21, we'll look at the response of sacrifice. It says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the attention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike again down every living creature as I have done. Um, and, and if you notice, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, so maybe the animals smell good, I don't know. But it, throughout the scripture, it actually says a lot of times where God smells things, that he, he smelled it or he, or he had the aroma of it. In Leviticus 1, 9, 26, 31, when they were like sacrificing, it says God like her, smelled the aroma like here. Um, in 2 Corinthians 2, 15, it says that Christians are called to be the aroma, or uh, God like smells the aroma of those who please him. So yeah. Um, I thought there was um, like some nephilim, nephil, nephilim uh, left over on the earth <clears throat> after the time of Noah. I don't believe so because the word the Bible says that every living, breathing thing was destroyed. Um, yeah, I know, but I I read something. I I gotta. You know what? I'll just have to come back. And come back picture. with you on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the, I, jo- <clears throat> Yeah, you you were saying the giants come back into the picture later on, but they're probably not the, the initial Nephilim. group. The what was the the original group of mankind and whatever was there was wiped out later on. That kind of refaces itself, I guess. Oh, okay, maybe that's what I read because I I was kind of wondering like how. Like, if everything was, like, you know, wiped clean and everything, like, how they would, like, just appear again, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Someone uh, suggested it could be in one of the lines, one of the wives, that it yeah. occurred because of the intermarriage of the wives. They may not necessarily have been pure in their family lines, but, I mean, that's not, a, like, a, a fact. It's just a, 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 a Conjecture, theory. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was giants. I mean, Goliath was considered a giant, so... Mm-hmm. But well, from what line was he? He's huh. from Canaanites, right? So the... Boy. Ham. Ham, yeah. Because also in the uh, Bible, it's, it says that there were some... Um, in Numbers, I forget the, exactly where. I think it's in Numbers... 
when they were when the Israelites were were traveling through, they um, conquered Shihon and Og, and uh, then when you read about that, that it tells how how large a bed that um, King Og of the I forget which tribe he was nation he was uh, was six feet wide by twelve feet something like that I don't know the exact, <laughs> the exact <laughs> dimensions but um, he was a big fella yeah he could he could uh, play play in the NBA <laughs> <laughs> yeah. didn't they just find the gates of Gat or something like that no. I think it, yeah. it was called uh -huh. and that was um I think that was from Goliath. Yeah, the Philistine city. It was like two or three weeks ago. You know, it's funny because like when I was growing up, I was told that like these were all stories. You know what I mean? That they weren't real. They were just stories for us to live by and stuff. But they're not. Like everything in this Bible is 100% real. You know what I mean? And that's like amazing. Like all the time they're like finding new stuff. It's just amazing. Yeah. Continuously proven. Yeah. yeah. Amen. It's incredible. Um, <clears throat> so verse 21, it uh, says that he'll, God will never again curse the ground because of man. Um, and, and if you look at what the world was before and after the flood, the entire really ecosystem, the weather changed. It never rained before this. It never... Um, uh, like the wind, God like stirred up a wind, so I don't know if there was wind beforehand too. So God, the flood didn't just like destroy people, it really changed the earth and how it operated um, in like the weather patterns, if nothing else. Um, so I, that's kind of what it's talking about. Like God's not going to change the entire ecosystem again because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So God cleansed the world, purged the world, but it didn't mean, it didn't change man's heart. Man's heart is still evil, and it still is evil today, mm. in and of its core. Um, so God, <laughs> that that wasn't the final say um, at that time. There's still evil in the world. And then it says, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And we'll get that in a couple verses. So God, God will never strike again as He has done. So in the same way He did the flood, He won't do that again in the same way. But He may do it another way, as we'll find out. Um, then verse 22, it says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Um, so life's going to go on. Life has been made new in the sense of um, it's been uh, purged, restored, but still not perfect. And then uh, chapter 9, let's go into chapter 9. It talks a little bit about Noah and his people. Is, this a, is that a verse against the idea of man destroying the earth through global warming? Verse 22. As long as it's in this form, sure. in this particular, it, these things will continue to operate. These okay, but we also know, we know how it ends, yeah. right, through Revelation and all that stuff. So, like, I'm not trying to be political, but <laughs> the whole, like, fear campaign that man's going to destroy the earth, you know, by global warming or whatever. As long as the earth remains, it's not going to be. It's going to be cold or hot, summer, winter. I'd be content with just summer, quite frankly. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, okay, just something. I mean, it may be possible to alter a little bit the seasons, mm -hmm. but in terms of like destroy, know, totally destroying it. No, I believe the yeah, warming actually is one degree over hundred years. Destruction. Maybe God knew these things would happen, and it's part of the way that I don't know. <laughs> All right. I don't think it. I don't think the verse like clearly says for or against it. I think <coughs> we could impact it, but we're not going to change God's plan, and that mm -hmm. that we can rest in. <laughs> so <laughs> well, you can see there that He says seed time and harvest are going to continue. For, for seed time and harvest to continue, 
there's got to be some relative continuity mm -hmm. in, in terms of the way things are. Otherwise, you know, then there's droughts, plants don't grow. I mean, this is some of the things we're hearing. Mm -hmm. uh, but he says it right there, seed time and harvest will continue. Yeah. So, I think, uh, like, the evil nature of like, <coughs> some people in this world um, that have been corrupted um, by, you know, Satan and stuff like that, even corporations that have been corrupted. I think they're trying to, like, destroy, um, like, the earth and stuff like that, like the water we drink and the food that we eat, like the GMO food and stuff. Not to get political or anything, but I think, like, they're, because um, it says, like, in the time of the end, it's going to be, like, the time, it's going to be, like, the days of Noah. So um, all that sin and stuff like that, it's going to, it's gradually going to be more and more and more until the end. So I think that there is um, things like that, like they're going to try to maybe control certain things that to destroy, you know what I mean? But ultimately they can't have, you know, the control to do that because God has the control, you know? But yep. they believe that, you know, they're... Yeah. Because of the just lies and deception of Satan, you yeah. know? And we know that God's in control. Us humans will mess things up, as we know that we can do that. Um, but, but God is the one who ultimately will keep or and destroy the earth. Um, but He'll actually make it new. But yeah. All right. So let's get into chapter nine, verse one. It says, "And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. So God gave the first command, be fruitful and multiply. I think they're doing well too. There's over 7 billion people, so <laughs> they did that commandment, so that was good. Um, and then it says, the fear and dread shall be upon every beast of the earth. And do you guys think that's true, that animals are scared of humans? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if you think of like a bear or a lion or a tiger that like attack humans, they do it out of fear. When I got sprayed by a skunk when I was like five years old, he did it out of fear. So he didn't like say, I rule over you, I'm going to spray you. Like, he did it out of fear. So, so even like the scariest animals that we're scared of, they're actually scared of us. So this is cool. It's cool because it holds true today. Is there a verse somewhere? about the, that that's going to be taken away, that fear of man, someplace. I don't remember. I think something like that. No, no, that's in, that's in the, the, the millennial age. Talking I think that in someplace in Revelation. The yeah, I think it's the, the time of man will be yeah. removed from the beast or something like that. I mean, that God's, didn't he, like, use, like, the dragon or something like that? They uh, use that symbolism. I don't know. Could, maybe. Maybe I won't. <laughs> you know what's neat is um, now, in a few minutes, you're going to read it, I'm sure, Noah is told that they can eat the animals mm -hmm. and hunt them and all that. And God kind of put this little protective nature in the animal to run and hide to sort of, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, I just think it's kind of cool. Yeah. And it shows that God doesn't hate animals, or God doesn't like say to take advantage of the animals. That's wrong. Uh, like in Adam, it says we've had to have dominion over them. We don't have like a dictatorship of do whatever you want, like disregard God's creation. Um, but we do have authority over them. And in verse three, like Greg says, that we can every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Uh, so we have, it's not wrong to eat animals, but it's, you don't have to. It says it, it is food for you. It doesn't say you must eat meat. And it, here, later on it says, and as I gave you the green plants, I gave you every, I give you everything. So before this time, everyone was vegetarians, and now they're allowed to eat meat. And I'm personally happy, but. Amen. <laughs> 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 and, uh, but I think it's important that we don't hold it over. Um, we one another. abuse our authority. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I was, uh, I went out for dinner with uh, my Muslim Indian professor friend, 
and uh, he's a vegetarian, and I was looking at the salad menu, and I was like, because I didn't want to, like, offend him anything, because some people are, like, offended when you eat meat, mm -hmm. and uh, I was, like, looking at the salad, and I'm like, oh, man, I really want some, like, Indian curry chicken, because we were at an Indian place. Thankfully, he's like, Kevin, it's okay if you eat meat. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm very happy. <laughs> but I would have I eaten salad happily, but I was even more happy eating chicken. <laughs> um, but, I, but in Romans uh, 14, it talks about how we shouldn't hold it over people. People can eat meat, they can eat vegetables, they can eat whatever they want. It's all clean. Um, but we shouldn't like make people stumble in that. Um, so God gave us freedom. But verse 4, he did give us um, some restriction. It says, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Um, and this here, it's showing that blood symbolizes life. And I think it goes again to the point, we shouldn't abuse animals, we shouldn't take advantage of them. Uh, outside of like the normal eating or I don't know whatever it means <laughs> but but we shouldn't eat the blood and uh, in Leviticus it talks a lot about that as well it goes into the commands um, and then verse 5 and 6 it goes into more about blood <laughs> it says and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast I will require it and from man from his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So here it's, it's really instating a capital punishment type of thing, like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What, why do you think that is? What, what is God's motive behind this, do you think? To keep man from sin? Mm -hmm. So murder is sin, so yeah, yeah that could be. Yeah, what murder. is this Accountability. Accountability. The preciousness of life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and if the second, the last part of verse 6, it says, like, whoever sheds the blood of man shall blood be shed, for God made man is in his own image. And it shows that God doesn't instate, like, capital punishment because he just wants people to be killed and be killed for killing. He wants to preserve life. And we need accountability. We need structure. We need law sometimes. We need commands. And things like that. Retribution. It wasn't like, and you have the right to go mm -hmm. get it back. It was each life is precious. So exactly. therefore, your, your life needs to be atoned for by another life. Yeah. So the government that pointed towards the ultimate life that would be, you know, would be mm -hmm. given for us. Yeah. So they really got that concept early. Yeah. It's like the probably the second commandment off the boat they're like make sure like preserve life and and that, that's cool that the motive really is that god cares about life the life of animals the life of people first and foremost because he made us in his own image um and in order to preserve that life that he loves um there has to be a command and there has to be consequences for sin. And the consequences of the sin before the flood was the entire world was flooded. So that was a pretty intense one. So God cares about life and there's consequences to sin. Verse 7, he re uh, re repeats his command and says, And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. So well, can I go back? Yes. Are you saying that we should have the death penalty today? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I, I think you <laughs> skated by it and you didn't address it. <laughs> that was a good move. Mm -hmm. uh, if we were one nation truly under God, maybe, but I don't know. If, it, if it's a God system, pre-Christ, yes. Post-Christ, is it different? I mean, Jesus, when Jesus says, like, uh, like, you, you have said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and he says you should turn the other cheek type thing, I believe. Says well, he did yeah. say that, but yeah. Romans 13 yeah. says that the government doesn't bear the sword in vain. You know, what's the sword for, ultimately? Yeah, but then you'd have to establish that the government was a government that would be uh, living... Fair uh, and equitable. Yes. Yeah, and you know, there was a... Ruling according to God. If they're ruling according to God, then they are applying all of God's rulings from one end to the other, then you've got that consistency that there would be the mercy of God in there in the, as well as the justice. But if it's not a government set up by God or uh, sort of a obedient to God, then it's hard to kind of put that in because it's not going to be used in a way that's 
I don't know about that. Or if, you, if, if, you're, if your government is, is not going to obey God in every ruling, but just pick up the ones that it likes and then use it in, in, without discretion, then it's corrupt. So yeah. it's kind of saying, you're going to have God's law, and you're going to pull it in whenever you want, but it, the government's corrupt. So it's not going to be a godly system because the whole system is not founded on God. There was a governor in Illinois, um, his name was Paul Ryan, and I think it was Illinois, and he is a godly Christian guy, wonderful, fantastic, whatever, and, and most evangelical Christians support uh, the death penalty, and he did not, and the reason why he didn't was, he said, I support the death penalty, but there is too much corruption in the system, where, you know, the poor person commits a crime, and they get on death row, the rich guy, he can buy his way off of death row, uh, in a sense. And so he, and then, of course, there's how many people on death row that down through the years they're found to be innocent and all that kind of stuff. So he just put a moratorium on it in his state because of that. So he supported it, but he, I think he's agreeing with what you're saying is it's just too corrupt of a system that it can't be accurately applied to people. I personally think that there has to be great consequences for sin. Like, there has to be punishment. Um, I, I don't know if I would say yes or no to the death penalty. I don't really have a personal opinion, but I think a lot. I think there has to be consequences for sin, though. Um, and oftentimes, like you said, people just buy themselves out of consequences, things like that. And I think that is very wrong. Um, but I also think that there should be opportunities for redemption. So... I'm skating the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers 35 says, uh, Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. The idea is kind of mm -hmm. like a bribe. Um, and you shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed in it except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. I think the, the correlation to, for instance, the United States is, or any government, really, is that unpunished murder, in particular, defiles a land. Mm -hmm. And, you know, pretty much state by state, we have either abolished the death penalty in the United States, or made it so that you can appeal for 20, 25, 30 years, and you pretty much abolish the death penalty in yeah. that state as well. And so we don't punish that sin, really, in our nation. And I, I think our nation has seen sort of violence run rampant yeah. over there's, there's the no last 30 years. There's really no and, and some folks are like, well, whatever. I'll go sit in jail. That's fine. You know, I mean, I don't really care about that. Is there a country that effectively uses the death penalty and that has good results? Japan. The United States did. We used to. You're saying Japan? They chop off heads and hands and stuff. You know, you kill. Okay. You know, we're lucky to be in America, trust me. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think there's any government that uses it. Use it on I mean, even if there is corruption. Even probably in, not, probably even not. in the U.S., like when it was in yeah, the better times, like I'm sure there was unjust killings. Sure, no doubt. Anybody goes to jail for for life or murder and they can still appeal it, they're still given the rights. Mm -hmm. So I think it's right now. The people who, who have abortions can say, well, that is actually a murderer. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. Probably doctors are more guilty. Mm -hmm. Or just as. Yeah. Did, you, did you see those pictures, those videos? Sure. Mm -hmm. That was very, very disturbing to me. Indeed. Very disturbing. Yeah. I like cried like a baby. I'm not kidding. I think it's Very disturbing. In that scripture. There's, there's really no um, place for a prison. Yeah. They meet out their judgment right away for whatever it is. It doesn't. It didn't seem like in in Israel if they gave us cities of refuge. You know, they did. You said. Yeah. They they there were cities of refuge that you could run to. But even there, there was a trial. Even there, there was a trial, oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, but there was no place for a prison. It seems like man wasn't meant to be locked up. Hmm. But, I mean, to have the death penalty, 
I kind of lean that way, but then again, it's so corrupt. Mm -hmm. You know, how can you know if it's right or not to give them the death penalty? Unless you're physically caught in the act and like you're there and and Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. The evidence is all stacked up perfectly. And a lot of people even on death row have been exonerated. Yeah. Right. So, so that's like, yeah. There's a really good ministry. I know Judy's dying to say something. There's a really good ministry. It's called, it's out of Princeton actually. It's called Centurion Ministries, something like that. And it's a bunch of lawyers. They pretty much, they work for free. They get hundreds and hundreds of um, letters from prisoners around the nation saying like, get me out of here, I didn't do it kind of thing. And they sift through that and they find the ones that they basically believe, you know, and uh, they argue their case. They argued one guy just recently, about five years ago, his case for 20 years, and they finally got him off. Um, yeah, so, yeah, and then something else? Ma'am, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, I remember reading an article about capital punishment once, and they brought up this verse, which I don't think I would have thought of, but it, when Pilate was questioning Jesus, he said, Pilate said to Jesus, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. So that implies that God gives the power to give and take away life. Yeah. To rulers. So, but yeah, I don't know if there's a conclusion, but that was good yeah. thoughts. <laughs> yeah. The harder thing is you want them to have a sanctity of life and not just retributive uh, killing. You want it to be a lesson to people knowing that, that this is a precious life. Mm. So the one that was taken or the one that the, the prisoner? Any life is precious and okay. therefore it has consequences as opposed to just, you know, um, like the cost equals this, you know, retribution, mm-hmm. because otherwise you lose the idea of what the killing was actually for. I think you're right. It hurts God and and it's displeasing to Mm -hmm. him. So we can kind of have a a judiciary system that misses the point. Mm -hmm. Even if it Mm -hmm. meets out the punishment, Mm -hmm. it it loses the the fact that God's heart is not for us to to kill each other. We have, there's accounting for it. Mm. You know, I went into a prison in, um, (coughs) over in Pennsylvania and it was built by Quakers. It's a hundred year, twenty year old prison now. And every cell the doors were five, they were less than five foot high. And it wasn't because they were like little people or whatever. The point was that every time the prisoner went into his cell, he had to bow his head down in order to get into that cell. And the Quakers built it as a way for them to, as a sign of repentance, as a demonstration of that repentance. And so they were teaching as opposed to, you owe me five years now. You know what I mean? The whole idea was to serve a purpose. Anyhow. Um, we probably shouldn't go on because <laughs> can't go on. What? We can't go on. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a little late. I mean, could stay here till ten. I got all night. <laughs> not working there. Yeah. No, but we should probably stop because we don't want to rush through the next part. So. Okay. So one yep. prayer request. Uh, Amanda went into the like an, was urgent care tonight. Really? So she didn't go into details of what was wrong with her. And she posted on Facebook she wasn't feeling well yeah. and was going to still try to do her workout or whatever. But yeah, so, so something like so that. in between then, she asked for prayers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Kev, you want to qu- pray for sure. that? And Yeah. All right, Lord, uh, thank you for this time, and I thank you um, just for your word and the, the truth of it, and Lord, and how faithful you are to your word. Lord, and um, I thank you for uh, what you showed through the flood, the, the, the consequence of sin, your, your holiness, your power, but also at the same time your, your peace and the reconciliation that you provide, Lord. And uh, I pray that you would just give us hearts um, to honor you, to worship you, and to, to, to give you um, our lives, Lord. And I pray that you would uh, show us parts of our lives that may not be honoring to you, that you would uh, convict and that you would point us um, to you and to redemption through that, Lord. And, um, Lord, I, I also uh, thank you um, 
for Amanda, Lord, and I pray that you would, uh, you know her situation, whether it be a sickness or just whatever is going on with her, Lord, that you would just touch her body, that you would heal her, Lord. We know that you heal because your word says it, and we've seen it in our lives that you do heal. So I pray that you would uh, just show your mercy and grace on that situation, that you would uh, make um, Amanda know uh, your presence, Lord, and that you would just encourage her in this hard time, Lord, and um, <clears throat> help us to be a body of believers that goes and loves and encourages and just picks people up uh, wherever they are, wherever they might be struggling, Lord, that we would encourage them and love them, Lord. We thank you for your demonstration of love on the cross, Lord, and showing us uh, that redemption and that love that you showed us, Lord. Praising your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.